It's often good in those moments when there is music playing to reflect on the things of God. I don't know if Fran has noticed yet, but I like to listen to music when I study. And I listen to classical music a lot of times uh, because I don't get to listen to it at home. (laughs) My wife's not a fan of classical music. So I listen to it uh, when I study. I also like jazz. Jazz is good study music. Uh, If you have your Bibles, go ahead and be turning to the Gospel of Mark chapter 1. Gospel of Mark chapter 1. We'll actually be finishing up today Mark's introduction. So we'll get into the story next week. But Mark has gone to pretty extensive lengths to introduce us to Jesus. He wants us to know who Jesus is. So he's making sure he's doing everything he can to introduce Jesus to us and to give us as clear a picture of Jesus as he can. Now, if you remember a few weeks ago, I said that I like to read biographies, and I'm currently reading a biography on Lyndon Johnson. Uh, I want to ask you this question. Have you ever been given something that you didn't know what it was for in that moment? Somebody gave you something, maybe it was a tool, or maybe it was a piece of information, and in that moment, it didn't make much sense to you. But sometime down the way, whether it was a few hours or days or even a few years down the road, that tool, that piece of information unlocked something for you, or it changed something for you. And you realize, I didn't appreciate it at first. It didn't make any sense to me at first. But now, because I have this, it makes all the sense in the world. And furthermore, without it, I would, I, would not, I would be lost or I wouldn't have a, as full of an understanding or my abilities would be held back if I didn't have this. So I mentioned I'm reading this biography and I have finished volume number one. And in the beginning of the volume, the first two or three hundred pages, the author doesn't talk about Lyndon Johnson at all. You know, I pick up this book about Lyndon Johnson and for like 13 chapters, the guy talks about Lyndon's great-grandparents and grandparents and their life on the farm in the hill country of Texas and how they had to walk down to the river to get water and all of this on and on and on. Now, I like stories. I I really do. But I intend to read about the person I want the book to be about. So I just didn't understand for a while why is the author going to such great lengths to tell me about Lyndon's great-great-grandparents? Well, then I realized his point was not to focus on Lyndon's grandparents. His point was to show the reader why Lyndon Johnson was the way he was. You see, we all come from a lineage. We all come from a family, and our families influence us. We pick up tendencies and behaviors, and we believe certain things, and we do certain things because of our families and because of our family heritage. And that's the way Lyndon was. And because to understand Lyndon, you had to understand Lyndon's family. And so while I was a bit frustrated at first, I realized by the time I finished this book, I would not have had as full of a picture of this man had the author not given me all of that information up front. Now, why do I tell you all that? Well, because that's exactly what Mark is doing with Jesus. Mark's going to tell us the story of Jesus, and if you've read any of the Gospels, you probably know Mark is the shortest of the four. But everything Mark tells us in his Gospel, every encounter Jesus 
has in the Gospel of Mark is all built on Mark's introduction. If we don't see Jesus in the way that Mark is showing him to us, then the rest of the story doesn't make as much sense. It's not tied together as strongly, and we can't see as deeply into it as Mark wants us to see. And so this morning, you see in the title there, we're going to take up the baptism and the temptation of Jesus. The baptism and temptation of the servant king who is Jesus. So if you have your Bibles open, I invite you to stand. We stand to proclaim God's authority in our lives. And in Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 9, the word of God says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. It is for your glory. It is for our good. It is for our salvation. It is for our growth in Christ-likeness. So Holy Spirit, we pray, come and meet with us this morning that you would open this word to our hearts and to our minds. Cause us to love you more, O God, we pray. In your holy name, amen. You may be seated. So as I said, this story is meant to give us a glimpse of Jesus and specifically a glimpse of Jesus as the divine Son of God. A glimpse of Jesus as the Son of God Who has come to fight against sin? Sometimes we ask, why did Jesus come into the world? Well, he came in for a multitude of reasons, but one of the primary reasons he came into the world was to fight against sin. And this reality that he came to fight against sin influences everything that we experience in the rest of the Gospel of Mark. That truth is behind every story. Why did Jesus heal the sick? Because he came to fight sin. Why did Jesus raise the dead? Because he came to fight sin. Why did Jesus multiply the fish and the loaves? Because he came to fight sin. Why did Jesus go to the cross and die? And why did God raise him to life? Because he came to fight against sin. And so we need to make a note. Now, if you write in your Bible, I'll, I would encourage you to do this. Now, I write in mine. I highlight, I write. It's all in there. You can, you can look. But write in there, every human encounter, every human story in the rest of Mark holds this deeper meaning. Jesus came to deal with sin. Now, I mentioned last week uh, some things that I learned from my father, right? Consequences. I knew growing up, if my dad said, son... When we get home, we're having a talk. I knew that that meant I was getting a spanking. There's no way out of that. I knew that when I got home, I'd go to my room, and that he was sure going to come in there five minutes later and deal with my behavior. And in that that same assurance, and in an even greater way, Jesus is saying he is going to deal with sin. So in addition to all that, Mark is continuing in his task to show us Jesus is not new on the scene. Jesus is the fulfillment of the scriptures. 
Jesus doesn't just show up out of nowhere. Jesus comes as the fulfillment or the finishing or the completing of the Bible. Now, when all of this is happening, the Bible only consisted of what we call our Old Testament. But that's what the Jews had. And what Jesus is saying and what Mark is saying is that the Old Testament is all about Jesus. So a question I would put to you, have you ever read the Old Testament like that? Maybe you have and you have seen the beauties and the glories of Jesus in the Old Testament. How from the beginning everything is focused on Jesus. But Mark is saying that specifically again this morning. Jesus has come to fulfill the Bible. And I will show you specifically how he does that. Something else I want to mention up front is something called harmonizing. Now I don't sing and that's a blessing and a gift to you from me. I don't sing. But I do know in my mind what a harmony is. It's when voices sing different parts of music, but they sing it together, and you you hear the different sounds, and it makes a beautiful sound. Now, when you read the Gospels, there are four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all have a bit different story. That's the same Jesus. It's the same miracles, but they all tell it a bit differently. And this story of Jesus' temptation and his baptism is found in Matthew and Luke. But if you read Matthew's version beside Mark's version, they're a bit different. Mark, I mean, Matthew gives us more insight into what actually happened. Mark is less thorough in the account of what actually happened, but that's for a reason. You see, Mark was a real person. Mark was right. He actually sat down and wrote this gospel story, and behind his writing, he had an intention. He had a purpose, and his purpose was to show Jesus as the Son of God who came to accomplish the mission of God. Now, John says in his gospel, uh, there are countless things to write down of which pages can't contain, essentially. He says, so I've kind of decided what's the essential to put in here so that you can believe. And so that's what Mark's doing. Mark's not telling us every single aspect of what happened. Mark is telling us what's essential as it unfolds in the gospel story. And so you see there on your notes the main idea of the sermon, that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God, the servant king who fights God's enemies on behalf of God's people. I apologize, I had a cold set in, so I'm going to... Take a few steps every now and again. Think about the good news of that promise, that Jesus fights our enemies because we are God's people. He fights against God's enemies on behalf of God's people. And over the next few moments, I want to explain to you how Mark is saying just that. Which leads us to our first point, Jesus' baptism. Jesus' baptism. Have you ever wondered why Jesus was, in fact, baptized? Have you ever wondered why? I have, for a long time, wondered why Jesus needed to be baptized. Because I grew up in a pastor's home. I grew up in a church context, and I saw baptism a lot. And my understanding was ba- of baptism was it followed repentance of sin. So I've decided to turn away from sin and confess my need for Jesus, and then I was baptized. But I was also told alongside of that, Jesus is sinless. 
Jesus has always been without sin. And therefore, he does not need to repent. And so when I would come across this story, Jesus was baptized, I would always be curious, why was he baptized? Maybe you've had a similar question about this. Maybe you're just now having a similar question about this. And I hope to answer that. But what's the purpose of Jesus' baptism? What does it mean? I'm not going to give an extended explanation of baptism, but we need to ask, what is baptism? What is it when someone enters the waters of baptism, whether it's in a baptistry like this or it's in a river somewhere outside or some kind of big tub? What is baptism? Well, Paul tells us in Romans 6 verse 4 that baptism is the way in which we identify with Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. Baptism for the people of God is that act of obedience whereby we have repented of our sins. We have confessed that without Jesus, I am hopeless before God, that my hope, my faith is entirely in Jesus for salvation. And to proclaim that outwardly, I'm going to enter the waters of baptism. So Paul says in Romans 6, buried with him in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. And so it's an outward picture of what the gospel has done in our hearts. It's essential to what it means to be a Baptist. We are a Baptist denomination. It's in our name. The word Baptist or to baptize in the Bible literally means to put under the water all the way. To submerge. And the picture is washing of sins. And so let me paint the picture for you as we ask this question, why was Jesus baptized? Remember where we are. We're in the wilderness of Judea. We're south of Jerusalem. It's barren. It's dry. It's brown. John is baptizing. And most likely, all the people that have come out, there's just this long line of people who are coming down to the river where John is standing in the river. And over and over again, John is baptizing people for repentance of sins. And so one after another. And then there, in the midst of the line, is Jesus. There he is. There's no special announcement. He's not glowing like a lot of our pictures tend to demonstrate. He doesn't, he's not dressed in kingly robes. He doesn't have a crown. Most likely, he's covered with dust. He's wearing some pretty low clothes. He is a northerner among southerners. Isn't that funny? He's from Galilee, a place called Nazareth, or we could also call it Nowheresville. Nazareth had no respect in Israel, none. And it was north. It was in the northern part of the country. And so Jesus has traveled down to Jerusalem and then south into the wilderness to stand in front of John. And so John's baptizing. There is Jesus. No one knows what's happening at this moment. I said a few weeks ago, John is giving us a, I mean, Mark is giving us a behind-the-scenes look at the story. The people who were being baptized didn't know that the Son of God had come. They didn't know that Jesus was about to do all of these great miracles that we can read about. They didn't know who Jesus was. And Mark doesn't tell us that they did. Sometimes we can just forget and assume because 
We may have become familiar with the story, but nobody knows who Jesus is at this moment. Matthew tells us that John recognizes Jesus. And if you have the Jesus Storybook Bible, which I will again encourage you to get, the Jesus Storybook Bible tells this in the most beautiful way. It says that John spoke and it only came out as a whisper. Can you imagine John in that moment knowing he was the new Elijah, knowing that he was preparing the way in the wilderness, making straight the paths of God, and then there in an instant, there he is. And he steps into the water. Now Mark tells us very plainly, in those days Jesus came and was baptized. In Matthew and Luke's account, John said, Who am I to baptize you? Lord, and John, Jesus tells him in the other accounts, it's right. It's what God would have us to do. It's what God would have us to do. And so Mark is letting us see something about the story that no one else knew. He's giving us insider information that no one else had. And so let's move back to his baptism. What was the purpose of Jesus' baptism? Well, stated very plainly, it was Jesus' way of beginning the mission of God in the world. It was Jesus' way of beginning the mission of God in the world. In his baptism, Jesus was not in any way repenting of sin. Let's make that clear. If we think otherwise, that messes up a lot of stuff. And it goes against the entire Bible. Jesus has been and will always be without sin. And so in his baptism, Jesus was not coming to repent of sin. In his baptism, Jesus was coming to identify with the sins of his people. Let me say that again. In his baptism, Jesus was coming to identify with the sins of his people. Paul says it differently later on in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so when Jesus goes into the waters of baptism, what he's saying is, I have come to make atonement for the sins of my people. I have come to make atonement for the sins of my people. Let's go back to the text and read again. In verse 10, Mark says, And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. So we need to note here, Mark is showing us that the Trinity is active in the baptism. The Trinity, that is, God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are all present and are all active in the baptism of Jesus, which is important because what is the baptism of Jesus? It's the announcement that the mission of God to save his people has begun. And so where do we see the Trinity in this? Well, it's not, it's not terribly hard. Jesus is the eternal Son of God who has come and is dwelling in a human body. He is in the water. And it says that he saw the Spirit. And you see in your Bible, that word Spirit has a capital S. It's a proper noun. It's a name. It's his name. The Holy Spirit has descended on him. Now, the language would tell us 
that it's not an actual dove that has come down, most likely. The Spirit has not, has most likely, probably not, put on a dove and flown down. Could he have? Sure, he's God. He can do what he wants to. But the way the language reads is, the dove is the type of descent that the Spirit made as he came down on to Jesus. He came down calmly, like a dove. And doves have special special meaning in the Bible, going all the way back to Noah. But the Holy Spirit descends on to Jesus, and then as the heavens are being torn open, we hear this voice, the very voice of God. This is my son. Now, according to Mark, Jesus is the only one who hears any of this and sees any of this. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always read this is everybody saw everything. Everybody saw everything. Everybody there saw the sky being torn open. I don't know what that looks like, but I've just figured they saw the sky being torn open. I figured they heard this audible voice from heaven. I figured they saw this dove coming down that was clearly the Holy Spirit. And yet as we read Mark a bit closer, this is actually an intimate encounter between Jesus and God and the Spirit. And no one else knows except John. Matthew and Luke tell us that to some extent, John understands. To some extent, John sees. I don't don't know how far he sees, how much he hears, but he understands a bit. But this is mainly for Jesus. Because what Jesus is about to do is going to kill him. What Jesus is setting out to do is a mission that takes him to the cross, to his death. And in order to ensure that he carries that out, the Trinity comes together and empowers him to carry out the mission of God. Now, Mark does a number of what we would call literary things or literary tools. They're just kind of special elements in the story that help us to kind of see things. And he's doing that here. Because what we see in his baptism is we see the movement of the Holy Spirit We see the tearing of the heavens. We see the announcement of Jesus being God's son. Now this happens again. This happens again in Mark. And where does it happen again? It happens at the cross. Because when Jesus is on the cross and he gives up his spirit, what happens? We see the movement of the spirit of God. We see the tearing of the veil. And we see the announcement from the centurion, surely this was the Son of God. And so Mark puts these special elements into his story to highlight these things for us that we might take note. And so I said again a few moments ago, Mark wants us to see that none of this is coming out of nowhere. This is all in line with what God has said in the Bible. And I want to show you that quickly. You see in your notes listed there, you can go back and read them later, but in Psalm chapter 2, In verse 7, it says this. It says, God speaking, and the psalm is really about the installing of or the announcing of God's king. And here's what God says in Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. The Lord says to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Do you hear that in Jesus' baptism? You are my beloved son. In Isaiah chapter 40. What is it there? 42. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. A prophecy that says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul 
delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. Do you hear the fulfillment of these things as God announces who Jesus is? Finally, I want to bring your attention to your attention, Isaiah chapter 64. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 1, where Isaiah says this. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That word rend means tear. Oh, that you would tear the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. And it says when Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn open. And so to the careful Bible reader, it's very clear. Mark is saying, this is the fulfillment of all the Bible in this man. And so in Jesus' baptism, Mark is helping us to see that Jesus is God's anointed Savior who, through identifying with his people in baptism, announces his intention to save them from their sin. Jesus' baptism helps us to see that Jesus is identifying with our sin in order to save us from our sin. Which leads us on to the second episode in our text this morning, Jesus' temptation. Jesus' temptation. We see in verse 12 that the Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. So this is the same episode. Jesus comes up out of the water, experiences all this divine intervention, and then the Spirit forces him or drives him into the wilderness. You see, the role of the wilderness in the biblical story is this, one of condemnation and one of rescue. Jesus in the wilderness indicates that God is about to begin the rescue of his people, that the great rescue of God's people has begun. Mark does not tell us anything about the temptation that Satan brings to Jesus, only that Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days and there is with Satan. Now, if you've read the other accounts, Matthew sheds more light on what happens, and we can see that Satan tempts Jesus with real physical needs. He fasted for 40 days, and so Satan tempts him with hunger. He tempts him with his faith, and he tempts him to commit idolatry. And so Jesus wasn't just meditating in the wilderness for these 40 days. He was doing battle with Satan, the enemy of God. So Mark is highlighting that Jesus' struggle with Satan reveals something greater that's going on in the world. And that behind every other scene in the gospel is this truth. Jesus fights God's enemies. Jesus fights God's enemies. We see this in Job chapter 1. Satan is behind the temptation of Job. But Satan doesn't tempt Job without God's permission. In Job chapter 1, Satan comes before God and asks permission. Do you know why? Because Satan is subject to God. He is one of God's creatures. And so when Jesus goes into the wilderness, Jesus is doing battle against Satan. One pastor said this, Jesus' testing by Satan reveals that there are unseen, hostile powers at work in the world which are engaged in a cosmic struggle or a, or a big worldwide struggle against God. And Mark uniquely portrays Jesus as the one whom God has sent to engage in a conflict with Satan. You see, when you and I try to deal with our own sin, guess what? We can't do it. 
when we try to deal with our own sin and our own power, we end up beaten by our own sin. Because we're not just dealing with, I really want to do this sin. We're dealing with Satan himself. And so, in Jesus' temptation, this, this episode where he's driven out into the wilderness, what Mark wants us to see is that Jesus came to do battle against Satan and the enemies of God. That Jesus came to deal with sin. Now, there's some other players in that story. It tells us he's with wild animals. What he's highlighting is the viciousness and the, and the, and the fear that accompanies the wilderness. Jesus was alone in the wilderness with the wild animals. And then after it's all over, and, the, and Satan has left Jesus, it says the angels were ministering to him. They were taking care of him. It's interesting, the word is they were deaconing him. They were being deacons to Jesus. And so his temptation shows us that he came to do battle against sin and against Satan. And it's showing us that the primary type of battle that Jesus came to do is spiritual. And so as we see Jesus perform physical miracles and we hear him teach, we need to see and hear behind those things. The primary battle lies in the spiritual realm. The primary battle lies between what Jesus is fighting against Satan. And Mark just assumes it, doesn't even say it. Mark assumes that Jesus wins. So briefly, I want to ask some application questions. I'm going to skip to the second one because it's the most important in my opinion. How does this truth that Jesus came to wage war against God's enemies, how does it affect me? We need to consider what sin is. How do we come across these stories and say, well, what do I take away from this? We need to reflect on sin, brothers and sisters. If we see that Jesus came to do battle against sin, and if we see that he will ultimately give his life for sin, then how in the world can we continue in it? How is it that we continue in sin, seeing so clearly that Jesus hates it and came to do battle against it? You see, if we evaluate our own lives, we can name most likely numerous sins that we struggle with. And some of us more than likely lead lifestyles of sin. If we evaluate our own lives, we need to be honest with ourselves before the Lord. And so what does it mean to continue in our sin or to lead a lifestyle of sin? Let me ask you this question. Are you comfortable with your sin? Are we comfortable with our sins? Some of us are comfortable saying, I don't do those things, but I do entertain, I do kind of hold on to some of these smaller sins that I'll call them. Are we comfortable with our sins? When we sin, do we feel conviction? Do we feel compelled to confess and repent? Or do we offer ourselves some form of pass? Are we daily fighting against sin? Are we daily seeking to guard ourselves from the attacks of Satan? Because brothers and sisters, the Bible says he prowls around like a roaring lion. So I'll close with this. If we see that Jesus is God's anointed Messiah and that Jesus came to do battle against sin and Satan, how is it, brothers and sisters, that we can love sin? Because in loving sin, we are identifying with the very enemies of God, and what Mark is showing us is that Jesus came to do battle against the enemies of God so that we might have hope of salvation in Him. And so sin, brothers and sisters, is no small issue. 
In fact, it is a life and death issue. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning humbled at your word. We come confessing that you are our Lord, that you are our Savior. Lord, help us to love you more. Help us to hate our sin more. Help us to trust in you more. Lord, I pray if there are those among us who do not know you through faith, that you would convict them of their sin this day, seeing that you identified with our sin in order to save us. Lord, for those of us who do faithfully follow you, convict us of our sin as well, that we might grow to hate it, and in growing to hate it, love you and follow you more. Lord, I pray now as we sing that we would sing in worship, that we would sing in repentance, that we would sing in faith with deep joy. And I ask these things in your holy name. Amen.